Welcome to Seeing Beyond Risk, a podcast series from the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I'm Chris Cuvoli, Actuary, Communications and Public Affairs at the CIA. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and we'd like to remind you that we have plenty of past episodes, so please subscribe and catch up on some that you might have missed. We can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and your favorite podcast platform. For actuaries in the PNC practice area, climate risk continues to be a primary area of focus. And for those involved in financial condition testing, the development of climate risk scenarios will be an important consideration. To discuss this topic further, we are joined by CIA members Christian Nadoalary, David Maman, and Houston Chain. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you for having us here, Chris. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Pleasure to be here. Let's talk about the sort of considerations that PNC actuaries should be looking at when it comes to climate risk scenarios within FCT. Are we just looking at physical risk and transition risk, or are there other elements? Christian, did you want to take this one? Yes, thank you. Well, definitely physical risk is the obvious one. PNC actuaries have expertise in CAT modeling and obviously modeling insurance liabilities. So we have expertise and it's important to consider both the increase in severity and frequency of climate-related events when it comes to create a climate change scenarios. At the same time, it's really important not to underlook the transition risk. We need to model both the liabilities and the assets. And when it comes to transition risk, we need to spend time looking into our company's investments, assets, and the effect of the transition to a low uh, greenhouse gas economy and the impact it will have on our investment in assets. There are different studies that can help doing that and doing a shock on our assets could be an important piece of a climate change scenario. Another area to start looking into the transition risk is to look into our investments portfolios by economic sectors. There are some sectors that may be more impacted by the transition risk, to name a few, the energy, agricultural, and commercial transportation. Also, under transition risk from a PNC industry perspective, the risk of future government policies, legislation, and regulation, as well as technology advancement, is also important to think of. Just look at the rise of electric vehicles with embedded technology that will definitely drive higher claims costs. And when you think of the pricing related to those, it could be an issue for some insurers to remove an electric vehicle discount, which may repel on the public opinion of a company. So these are all considerations that can come into play when building a climate change scenario. Houston, my next question is for you. I'm just wondering, how do you expect climate risk to manifest itself? Are we going to be expecting larger catastrophic events or more frequent smaller events or both? How's it going to look? That's a good question, Chris. And I think answering this question depends on when we're answering the question. And by that, I mean, it's if we assume that this is based on our current knowledge and things are moving very quickly in terms of climate science and climate modeling. So in, in three years time, if, if we're answering this question, I think we should be much more sophisticated and the modeling in our profession will look very different. So if we answer the question now versus in three year times, I think it will be a different answer. So if we consider that future state where most companies should have access to better climate science so that we can better quantify and better integrate the risk of physical risk, transitional risk, and liability risk, then, you know, I think it's more than just looking at cats. But definitely based on what we have currently and what we know, I think really we're, we're looking at the fiscal risk aspect. So if we look at the fiscal risk aspect on catastrophe risk, right, other than some of the larger companies where they do have some resources where they can model some of the impacts of climate risk and we can reflect climate risk in the FCT with a bit more granularity, I think all we can do currently is rely on existing resource. So to get to your second part of your question, where are we expecting larger cap events or more frequent smaller events? I think qualitatively or for FCT 
purpose to reflect the risk. You know, most of what the actuaries that I've spoken to is, you know, we do suggest that cats are getting larger. So the catastrophes that we're seeing are definitely getting larger and more frequent. So I think it's taking what we existingly know. So we have data and we have some sort of modeling either for reinsurance purpose or for other purposes that at the higher level that we already have some data on, it's making those more frequent judgmentally and either increasing some of the smaller events to medium-sized events or shifting up the probability curve, however you want to do that. But at the end of the day, I think it's, it's testing the resiliency of, of the insurer's reinsurance program. So how is the reinsurance program protecting or not protecting the position of a company's financials. And I think in modeling, when we're modeling climate risk for FTT purpose, it would be prudent to assume some sort of additional reinsurance tightening. So, you know, we've seen recent trends where there is some reinsurance tightening and availability. So I think it's just putting that assumption in there in the FCT model so that it's a bit more realistic, even though it's still somewhat qualitative based on what we currently have. And, you know, another question would be to consider how insurers will respond in rising catastrophes and increasing claims. And what I mean by that is, are we considering raising rates? You know, a lot of the considerations within the PNC world is we can reprice. So are we considering that within our rates? And are we considering the availability of underwriting actions? So are we cutting out certain areas uh, after catastrophes? And then what does that mean? And how does that look? So even with the current understanding and some of the current data points that we have, we might be able to get a bit more sophisticated within the modeling. Let's talk a bit now about integrated climate scenarios. And I'm wondering, you know, what do actuaries need to think about? Do they need to incorporate insurance risk, market risk? What gets included? David, did you want to tackle that? Thanks, Chris. Really, when you think about climate risk scenarios, I think integrated is sort of a redundant term to some degree. All climate risk scenarios, when executed effectively, will require integration across all risks within your enterprise risk register. I'll allude to some examples that the Christian and, and Houston mentioned earlier on in their commentary. But when we think about what needs to be integrated into climate risk scenarios, I think it's important to look at broader sustainability criteria rather than just climate. Very similar to how you would model recession scenarios, for example. You would never look at recession on a single dimension. Mentioned, you would look at recession across how it impacts your insurance liabilities, how it impacts future pricing, how it impacts the potential for fraud on the claim side, but also how it impacts market returns, credit risk, and a variety of other factors. When we think about what actuaries should think about on the climate risk side, obviously we talked a little bit about frequency and severity of events, whether that be in climate change-driven events like catastrophes or even just major events, you know, large windstorms, things like that, that don't necessarily trigger catastrophe thresholds, but that can at least become more of a drag on a company's loss ratio. That's the low-hanging fruit. But then when you start to look at transition risk and how that impacts market returns on your securities, not all, but some PNC insurance companies do have longer-term investment strategies where they buy and hold to support longer-term liabilities, particularly in the mortgage insurance space or in products like surety products or warranty, long-term warranty products, title insurance. There are going to be some niche products there that will have longer-term investment strategies where sustainability and sort of reliability of those counterparties is going to be really important to assessing capital requirements there. Uh, so really touching on the market risk side. But when you start to look at global insurance operations, some of the other interesting aspects that kind of flowed in are how individual countries are going to respond to climate and sustainability considerations. That can play potentially into foreign exchange valuations to the extent that you have securities invested internationally. And so there's a lot of different considerations that kind of come into play here when it comes to modeling on an integrated basis. But it's really, really important that actuaries think very broadly and that they inform their scenarios that they run in their FCTs or their ORSA processes across the risk register to really assess, you know, how can I build an effective integrated scenario that accounts for risk on multiple dimensions? 
that's going to be really critical going into not only just B15 compliance, but generally just sound risk management for insurance companies going forward. Hey, let's continue talking about that whole short-term, long-term focus. Uh, one of the few things I know about PNC business is that it does have more of a short-term focus, but climate risks can take a very long time to emerge. So you've got conflicting time horizons. How do you deal with that? I totally agree. When you do research on climate change, it's always on a relatively long-term period of projection. Whereas most of the FCT models for PNC companies are in the range of three to five years. However, it would be great to be able to do those FCT model projection over a longer horizon, but there are practical considerations that makes it hard. If you think of the models, there may be model limitations and you need obviously forecast assumptions that may not all be handled by the, the corporate actuaries. So uh, the length of the internal forecast may not match the length of the projection we would like for climate change scenarios. That being said, there are a couple things that can be done to circumvent the mismatch of the forecast periods. One thing is to interpolation. Obviously, if you have analysis and forecast of climate change impacts on the long run, there could be different linear or exponential interpolation that can be done, but that may be a risk of uh, underlooking the risk. At the same time, one thing that can be done and that is probably more and more appropriate as we read climate change literacy is to assume that models are wrong. And the shock that we can expect over the next 10 years could happen over the next five years. And that's something that could be reasonably tested in an FCT climate change scenario. As Houston mentioned as well, and that's something we start to observe more and more, there's hardening in the reinsurance market. So over a three to five year horizon, it may be appropriate to gradually reduce reinsurance protection for about the same costs or even an increasing reinsurance premium costs. So these are all things that could be embedded over a three to five year projection period. Let's talk a bit now about calibration of assumptions. How does one go about doing that as part of this exercise? It's not an easy answer. And to what discussed earlier by both David and Christian's points, in terms of David's point on broader sustainability factor and, and time horizon, where a lot of the calibration, either for FCT or other purposes within an organization, is strategic. So you're trying to understand a strategic direction beyond that normal three to five year timeline. Where what are we talking about five to 10 years? But again, it depends on the current and future state. Like how we talked about earlier, you know, I think the calibration will look very different three years from now when, when our models should be more sophisticated. And I I think it also depends on the calibration of are we modeling physical risk only or transition risk? Because I think th those two things are very different in terms of how we model them. So if we talk current state, right, physical risk have some proxies. So I think, again, through the reinsurance modeling, most climate risks like flood and fire have been integrated somehow into that process. So there is some data available. So I think the care in the usage is we need to make sure as actuaries and as a profession that we, we have the proper usage of the data and of the information. Some of the data is being limited now in terms of you know how you can use the results of CAT modeling for reinsurance purpose. So it might be a source of calibration or source of validation, but um, depending on where, where you're getting the information from or the modeling from, th there might be a restriction on the usage. So it, it's understanding what you're looking at and, and how you can use it and then making sure that you're not breaking any uh, usage limitations from that perspective. 
So I think in the target state, though, like looking a few years forward, physical risk would be calibrated with the climate risk in consideration. So we, we would have damage functions, right? We would know better. And with the integration of some climate scientists, input from some of the climate scientists, we would know better how changing climate is impacting three to five year down the line, five to ten year down the line, and insurance companies' exposure. So we, we can see where the damage might be, and we can measure that against the modeled impact for a company's climate value at risk portfolio. So I, I think it, it, it is is something that we're moving towards on the physical side. But currently, the, I think the calibration is really just looking at your prior losses and prior claims, comparing those against some of the, the historic catastrophes and seeing if an increase in the frequency of these will result in, in something different and, and something that you can use or, or chew at for your FCT purpose. For transition risk, we do want to model some sort of transition risk. It is a much more tricky area. Again, to David's point, there is a lot of interconnectedness in, in considering both in in Canada and outside of Canada activities. So it's a tricky area to wrap our heads around. And there's that interconnectedness of macroeconomy where we do definitely need to consider external data sources and resources, right? And I think we would be relying on information and modeling from other professionals so that we can better impact and understand the impact of climate on the macroeconomy. And so I think with that, we would have a better idea of the direct and indirect and some of the secondary impact of how a transition to a lower carbon economy is impacting first the economy in general, and then how does that change in the economy impact the company's operations? So it's, it's something that I don't think we're quite there as an industry. I think we're, we're moving towards that, and, and there's definitely going to be well, work that we would be doing with other professionals. And it impacts, as David's point, right? where where would the impact be? Are we just looking at market risk or operational risk? I think it's all areas. So it is interconnected in terms of you know how climate impacts the areas within insurance company's operations. So I think it's taking the input that we would get from some climate models or economists and, and putting that into, into our modeling on the insurance company side. And to wrap up, can you let us know what types of research do you think would be useful for actuaries when it comes to developing climate scenarios? Yeah, Chris, but broadly speaking, I would categorize the types of research into two general buckets, internal company research on your customers, but also external research that is available through third-party organizations. I think there's, on the external side, quite a bit of information available through organizations like the International Sustainability Standards Board or the ISSB, particularly around global sustainability disclosure standards that were released just earlier in the summer, I believe in June. And, and a lot of research that went into designing those sustainability and disclosure standards can really give the actuary insight into how capital markets and other global valuation experts are going to look at these disclosures in terms of valuing the effects and, and pricing the risk related to climate. On the internal side, there's a lot of research that can be done internally within a company to better understand their individual risk exposures. I think there was a really great podcast from the CIA that was released recently on the ERM booklet that started to address how you can look at counterparty risk more specifically than just greenhouse gas emissions, but really looking at what a transition economy or a move away from carbon is going to do to businesses and not just businesses, but geographies and pockets of consumers that are insured through the PNC insurance industry today. It's going to be really interesting to see how that type of research can lead to really informed scenarios. And so, for example, a PNC insurance company has a lot of clients within the floodplains or within regions that are likely to deteriorate in terms of market valuation or potentially even insurability in a world that is transitioning with the climate-related risks in mind. And I think that's going to be an interesting type of research to do that can help inform the scenario 
scenarios, not just, again, the, the severity of those scenarios, but the onset of those scenarios to figure out how over time that will play through the book. And again, whether that's on the liability side related to the insurance customers, or whether that's even related to the asset side of the balance sheet, to the extent that there's real estate investments in a company, there's going to be a lot of interesting ways that internal research can help inform more specific scenarios related to those carriers' businesses. And I think bringing those two things together, the external and internal research, will give very high-valued scenarios that not just the actuary will be interested in, but that are top of mind for boards today. As an appointed actuary myself, I frequently get asked this question, not just from a compliance standpoint, but really from a, how are we thinking about this from a long-term risk management standpoint? I think boards and directors on those boards are asking these questions at a much higher rate than they have in the past. And so I think it's really to the responsibility of the actuary to inform themselves on these matters, both internally for the, the companies they support, but also externally based on the thought leadership publications and standards that are emerging every day these days. Well, thank you for the plug for the ERM booklet episodes. We encourage everybody to go back and listen to those. And I'd like to thank all of you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Chris. Thanks again, Chris. And just a reminder that if you have ideas for a future episode or you would like to contribute to our Seeing Beyond Risk blog, we would love to hear from you. Contact information can be found in the show description. Until next time, I'm Chris Fivoli, and thank you for tuning in to Seeing Beyond Risk.